Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. Mark Callanan of the Orthopedic Clinic with the Willis-Knighton Health System. We're talking about common youth sports injuries. And we'll be taking your calls throughout the show. As a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down all the way before you call in. And the number to call is 318-219-4569. And you'll see that across the bottom of your screen throughout the show. So thank you so much for being here, Doctor. Mm -hmm. Happy to be here. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. We've been talking on the break. We've been talking talked earlier the, yeah. um, and let everyone know what we're going to be talking about. You brought some models here. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about sports medicine. Let's yes. just review again really quickly. What is sports medicine? Sports medicine is the treatment of um, you know not just athletic sports-related injuries, but really anything that is inhibiting a patient or a person from doing a hobby or an activity that they like to do. You know, it's, you know, we obviously treat a lot of high school level athletes, collegiate athletes, um, but at the end of the day, what it comes down to is if you have a hobby and it's something that you want to do and you like to do, if there's something that's slowing you down from doing it, that's where a sports medicine doc can get in there and treat and try to get you back to the things that you love to do. So that's a true definition of an athlete. You don't have to be technically athlete as we see exactly. it to see a sports Athletes medicine. come in all shapes and sizes. That's <laughs> what I like to tell people. If you like to play pickleball on the weekends, I mean, if you like to garden on the weekends, all that stuff, I would say, falls in the purview of what we do. Yeah. You know, our goal is to keep you doing the stuff that you love to do, you know, the stuff that makes you happy. All right. So that's all of us viewing, all of us in one way or another, an athlete here talking. So Absolutely. It's really nice to hear that because that way this kind of information applies to all of us. Yes. And also applies if we're the parent or guardian of a very active child. You've yeah. got an athlete there, you're thinking about their running crazy, whether in organized sports or not. Mm -hmm. And with football coming up and, oh, yeah. and youth, you probably see a lot of, what's the most common youth injury you see in football? Uh, football, it's a variety of things. I mean, we kind of categorize them from, you know, the, the basic stuff that doesn't require to see an orthopedic surgeon onto the more serious things. You know, from the baseline, I mean, uh, just to take a step back when you're thinking of sports medicine, it's, it's really a team. You know, I'm a small part of this overall team that we have, especially at Willis-Knighton. It starts out with the athletic trainers, and we have some phenomenal ones that are dispersed throughout the high schools. They're the primary kind of line of care, and they'll see a lot of the sprains, the bruises, the bumps, the cuts, the scrapes, all that stuff. So, you know, 90% of injuries I don't even see kind of in my clinic because these are all taken care of kind of at the primary goal by the, the athletic trainers. Um, then when it comes to, you know, the more serious things that I see, if we're talking football, you know, it's typically near shoulder injuries mm. um, outside of the sprains and bruises. Um, more commonly, you hear about ACL tears or ligament tears. Um, that's a very common injury. And if we're looking at our knee model right here, when people are thinking about ligaments, the definition of a ligament is a connective tissue that connects two bones to give stability to a joint. Okay, so when you hear the term tendon or ligament, a ligament connects two bones. A tendon is where the muscle attaches to a bone, just for a definition standpoint. So if you're thinking about the ligaments in a knee in a football player, when they get hit or they get wrapped up and that knee twists, you can actually pop these ligaments in here. The anterior cruciate ligament, the ACL being the one that gives the front to back stability of the knee, one of the most commonly injured. The other structures that we see in the more significant football injuries are the meniscus. If you look at a knee inside, you have the cartilage in the space, but you also have these two little semicircular shock absorber discs. They're called the meniscus. So these are kind of gristly in nature. They got a you know fairly poor blood supply. So it's one of those things where once you pinch and tear it, it's almost like my analogy in clinic is having a hangnail. So when you have a hangnail, you know, it's one of those things where it doesn't just grow back to itself. And certainly you snag it on something, you're going to know it's there. So a lot of times, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, they may not feel it, but you twist, you pivot, you push off. It's one of those things. These condyles are going to grab and engage that shock absorber, and you're going to feel pain. 
So if you're thinking about it from the high school athlete and the younger kids, we want to preserve this because this helps preserve overall knee cartilage. It helps preserve you from getting early arthritis. And so we will do everything possible to fix this thing, typically depending on the tear pattern and other things in the high school youth population. As you get older and our older sports medicine population that we see, they tend to be a little more on the degenerative side where you get a little bit of arthritis. It's part of the normal wear and tear in life. And then getting back to the hangnail analogy, you know, how do you treat a hangnail? You don't rip out the entire nail bed, but sometimes you got to go in and trim off the little portion that's torn that's getting stuck in the joint there. So kind of two different philosophies on treatment, trimming some out versus repairing, and a lot of it has to do with age, you know, where you're at in life when you have this type of injury. But uh, again, backing up to the high school, you know, population with volleyball, soccer, you know, football, very common injury that we see outside of the ligaments is the meniscus. That is so interesting to find out what meniscus we hear that all the yes. time but to compare it to a hangnail makes so much sense so that's the pain <laughs> that we're feeling exactly it's, the, it's uh, catching it just right it's yeah. where the certain position of the knee grabs that tear and that's when people feel it um, so a lot of times if you're trying to figure out oh did I have a tear do I have you know some of the big things we look for is number one swelling in the knee when you're trying to determine, okay, is my, you know, my child need to see an orthopedist or is this something that may get better? If they've got significant swelling that's noted on the knee, they got limitations in motion where they can't fully straighten, they can't fully bend it, um, they're having difficulty weight bearing, those are kind of three big things where this may need an MRI or something a little more um, to get a little more information on what's going on. Um, when we're talking about different things as far as imaging goes and workup of, let's say, a knee since we're on the knee, um, X-rays are going to show you the bones. So at a baseline, certainly fractures are common across sports. You know, that will give us a screening view. Do you have a break inside the knee? If you're an older athlete coming in to see us, we'll say, okay, how much arthritis is in there that could be contributing to your overall pain symptoms? Uh, once we get that, then the MRIs basically shows us everything we don't see on the x-rays. So you want to see the meniscus, you want to see if the ligaments torn. I can even see the cartilage surfaces in finer detail. In the younger athletes, sometimes if they have good volume of cartilage, they can knock off a little pothole of cartilage. And there's different techniques where we can actually repair it right back, or we can actually culture some of their own cells, you know, make essentially stem cells, culture and grow their own cartilage and implant it back so that it fills in the, the defects. So there's a lot of cool things that we can do with <laughs> knee injuries these days. Very cool. Yeah. That's really amazing. Yeah. And we talked about too on youth, we're talking about younger with, um, when it's an older patient, is it a different surgery than a younger one because the younger is still growing, there's still things going on in there. Exactly. What else, how intricate is that when you have to take that into account? So it depends on what it is. And you know, if we're, we'll, we'll kind of touch on the three things we've been touching on. If you're thinking about a ligament tear. Mm -hmm. So certainly in a young patient, if you look at literature, the biggest concerns are number one, re-rupture rates. Um, if you reconstruct an ACL ligament, uh, you don't want that thing to tear again. You don't want them to go through another surgery. So there's a lot that goes into it, not just the selection of what you use to reconstruct that, but also making sure they have the appropriate post-op recovery. So again, thinking of the sports medicine as a whole, as a team, you know, what I do in the OR may be two hours, but then the nine months following, I mean, there's a lot of time where they're spending more with their physical therapist than they're seeing me here. And that's where we have a great team at Willis Knight and not just of athletic trainers, but great physical therapists as well that make you look better than you are sometimes. And hey. I will say that. So my portion <laughs> is small sometimes, but I mean, if you don't have a good therapist behind you, you know, you're, you're really going to notice that in your outcomes. So we have a great team and we have good outcomes with that. So 
Um, in a younger population, you know, re-rupture rates uh, with using, when they looked back, they had choices of taking graft from the patient itself, meaning I can take a central slip of the patellar tendon with some bone plugs and use that to create a new ACL. I can take a hamstring or I could take a portion of the quad tendon and make a new ACL for them. <laughs> and those are called autographs, meaning they come from your, your body, your own material. There's also something called an allograph, which is basically taking a dead person's tissue. And they can take that and you can use that to reconstruct that. Now, when they had previously done that, it's a little bit easier technique, a little less surgery because you're not harvesting the graft. But the re-rupture rates were almost double in younger patient populations. So fast forward down the road, once you get around the age of 40 or so, that data kind of evens out where, you know, it's, it's much more um, uh, equality of outcomes if you were to take a cadaver graft versus taking you know, uh, their own patellar tendon, their hamstring, or their quadriceps. So a lot of that is a part of the, the conversation with the patient. You know, if I have somebody that's 45 and they're an avid downhill skier and they tore it at Vail, you know, over the weekend and they're coming in with this torn ACL, certainly they'd be a candidate for taking, you know, their own graft and using that. That's not the wrong answer, but it's also a conversation that, hey, you know, we don't even have to harvest, it's less surgical time. We can actually use a cadaver graft, take a cadaver tendon, I can reconstruct your ACL with that, and the literature shows that you're still gonna have a good outcome versus the high school kid where it's, it's autographed, you know, and it's just the selection of what the graft choice is. And there's a lot that goes into that, you know, anterior knee pain, um, if they've had previous surgeries, you know, scarring, you know, it's cosmesis, a big issue. My female athletes, obviously they don't want the bigger incision that the guys don't care as much about, so that can uh, influence the graft choice because there's minimally invasive ways to get the quadriceps or the hamstring. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into each and every procedure to kind of answer your question, and certainly some of it is age-dependent. And so, with a, so is it better in a younger patient to do the autograph, to use absolutely, their own absolutely. for obvious reasons like that? Yes, much, yeah. much lower re-rupture rate, right. and so it's almost double. And again, it's not saying like it was 50%, you know, if you're using a cadaver tendon, but when you're looking at percentages versus the autograft, I mean, it was about double what it is from using your own tissues. So right. uh, 100%, if you're a young athlete and you get hurt, we're gonna recommend taking your own tissue to mm -hmm. reconstruct that ACL. That's remarkable. And wh where are the certain, is there certain places that you go to get it? Like you said, like the oh, yeah. hamstring issue. And, so yeah. mostly around the knee, it's gonna yeah. be structures around the knee that we take. You know, again, I could take a central slip of the quad tendon. We can take a couple of your hamstrings. There's some on the medial side that are a little bit smaller than the ones on the outside. Um, and so we can harvest those. And from a function standpoint, people do, do, do well. And then also taking, again, you know, the, the patellar tendon graph, which is one of the gold standards where we actually take a little chunk out of the end of your kneecap and a little chunk out of your tibia tubercle in the central third. And that way we have two little bone plugs that can actually grow <laughs> into the bone that we stabilize and that reconstructs your ACL. So um, again, there's a lot of different ways we can take it. And it's a, it's a patient specific discussion and mm -hmm. it's, you know, uh, guys versus girl discussion. It's a gender discussion. And, uh, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. So that's all, that's all what entails in, in, in particular. And that's just one, one operation. And more individual, like we hear all the time, especially when we talked to you before, mm -hmm. um, just that individual attention. Yes. Guy, girl, doesn't matter. Absolutely. Even if you have a girl says, I don't care, start exactly. up, it's fine. <laughs> exactly. It's, you ask them and you're considerate of it, yeah. but it doesn't matter. The answer is the outcome, whatever they say. Absolutely. Individual. If it's really important to them, they want tiny incisions, then I say, okay, patellar tendon's not for you. Mm -hmm. They said, hey, I'm going on, I'm playing collegiate soccer. You know, I want the gold standard that people have been using. I'll say, hey, you know, certainly we could do the patellar tendon on you. 
And so there's a lot of different, you know, discussion things that go into that. And then, you know, some athletes are, you know, finished at high school and they're saying, I'm never playing again. I just want to have a functioning knee for when I have kids or I want to go out hiking on vacation, not worry about this thing buckling on me. Then, you know, that's all part of the equation. Yeah. And so when you take tissue from somewhere else, does that, how does that affect where you took it from? Does that weaken it at all? Or does the body build it back up? How does it affect the spot where you took the yeah, tissue? Yeah, that's a great question. And I will say from the most common harvest sites here, it doesn't affect it at all. Hmm. You know, if we take a central slip of the quad, we sew it together end to end. Same thing on the patellar tendon. We can sew things back together and the literature shows it's going to heal back. It's going to scar in. It's going to be strong. Uh, having a risk of having like a quadriceps tendon rupture or patellar tendon rupture is very, very low. So not anything to worry about. Same thing with the hamstrings. Um, uh, you know, it's one of those things where if you were to put somebody on a machine that very precisely measures side-by-side -side strength, they'd probably have some weakness. But from a functional clinical standpoint, if they were going out playing day-to-day -day basis, it's not something most athletes would recognize with the two small hamstrings that we tend to harvest. Okay. And cadaver tissue, sounds like it's pretty handy, readily available. Yeah. How does that happen? How do you do? So that's something that, that we that actually order on the spot. You know, we do have some graphs for different things that we do for reconstructions that will be, you know, we have a certain amount on hand that we can use. Uh, but a lot of times if we're planning to do either an ACL, a PCL or whatever it may be, I make sure there's tissue banks that we can reach out to and there's certain sizes, calibers that I'm <laughs> looking for and they can usually get them in pretty quick. So sometimes though, if you know you don't have certain tissue available that you're looking for, it can delay a case because you got to wait till they can actually get that and get it shipped in and <laughs> you know have everything set up for the operation. And is there a compatibility? With no, no, it's with pretty inert. Tissue? That's okay. a great question. You know, with the there's no muscle tissue that should be on these things. These things are sterilized. They're basically the collagen has a pretty low um, uh, 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 cellular level where it's not something that has the antigens that typically people would worry about with like a kidney transplant or something like that. And that's a good question. People are saying, well, is my knee going to reject this thing? The mm. answer is no. You know, it'd be astronomically low that somebody would have some sort of. Uh, allograft rejection, you know, for what we're using it for, for like a ligament reconstruction. What a benefit. I mean, that's pretty amazing that you don't have to worry good. about that and we can do that. Absolutely. It is good in the right populations and, you know, we do use it even in youth. The ACL is one of those uh, ligaments that we don't use it for simply because the data shows taking your own tissues better. Um, but let's say, you know, I've had a, a recent case where a kid had the entire, you know, posterior lateral corner, as we call it. All these ligaments were basically disrupted. It was part of an ACL tear. You can actually use cadaver to reconstruct all that. You don't have to take the auto. And the data for young patients in that situation shows that it's very equivocal outcomes. Same thing, um, you know, another common thing that I see with football players and or, you know, volleyball, soccer, is where some people have kneecap instability where they can actually dislocate. And so if you have recurrent dislocations, you can imagine that's pretty painful. Mm -hmm. That's something that, you know, keeps kids from performing and they could just be walking down the hallway. Sometimes it's so unstable, it'll pop out on them. And then, you know, they're limping around, they can't walk, they need crutches. So um, even in that case, we can still use cadaver tendon. That's a way to reconstruct things where the literature shows that even in young patients, it still has equivocal outcomes and we don't necessarily have to take their own hamstring or otherwise. Okay. So it can be used for a lot of different things. That's incredible. So when the kneecap gets out of, it's dislocated or something, what actually hurts? Is it the nerves that's hurting or where oh, does yeah. the pain come from when it just slides over? Yeah, so when it slides over, what happens <laughs> is everybody has a fat pad in the front of the knee. That's where a lot of the nerve endings and that's where a lot of the inflammation and the fluid production, everything's going to happen within the knee. 
So that gets aggravated. That's where a lot of those nerve endings are. Then the lining of the knee starts making more fluid in a response. That's where, you know, when people injure themselves, certainly if you tear something like an ACL, there's a blood supply to that. So a lot of times they'll have what's called hemarthrosis, meaning bleeding in the knee. Right. But sometimes it's not necessarily hemarthrosis or bleeding. It's just the aggravation of those nerve endings. The knee makes fluid in response. And that's where people come in with that big water balloon looking knee. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily blood. It's just the typical kind of response to those nerve endings getting aggravated and that knee getting inflamed and making fluid in response to that. Is that a protection thing yeah, that the body does? Yeah, it's more of a biologic protection thing and people have done studies where they've aspirated that out and they've looked at the different components of that to see if it's something we can isolate and put back into the knee to help with recovery after surgery and everything else. So I think um, if you're thinking about the steps of orthopedics and how we're advancing over time, um, one of my mentors, who was James Andrews, he was just here recently speaking. He's kind of one of the gu gurus of sports medicine. He said one of the biggest things was the arthroscope, meaning the little camera that we could poke in and look around the joint, and that came along his time. And he always tells me the next big thing is going to be biologics, being able to basically, you know, manipulate all these healing factors, manipulate stuff for cartilage growth, you know, ligament growth, whatever it may be, to try to augment our repairs. And he's saying. Uh, moving forward, we may get to a point where surgeons are not obsolete, but we have less of a role where biology is more the forefront. Even now, I will say, with ACLs, there's a new graft that they can do where um, it was trialed actually where I did some of my training up in Boston. They did all this research on it uh, where they can actually, instead of reconstructing it, if this thing is torn, they can put a little graft together and it and basically let the thing heal together. It's a little biologic bridge that they can have across. So. Okay. Well, we have Mike on the line for you with a question. Hi, Mike. Thanks for calling. What's your question? Hi. Good afternoon. My name is Mike, and um, I'm calling to say that uh, Dr. Callanan is the best doctor in all of Shreveport and Louisiana. <laughs> I was a patient of his, but I had a torn uh, rotator cuff, torn ligaments, a bad rotator cuff, and I was under his care, and he is the best doctor ever. I just wanted everybody to know that he is, he is awesome. <laughs> And I just happened to catch him on. I was home this afternoon, and I just had to call in to let everybody know. He helped me. I'm sure he can help anybody who has any kind of issues that he can help you with. So thank you, Dr. Callum. Hey, thank you, sir. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for calling. How are you doing now? Are you well? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm still having some issues where I probably go in uh, once in a while to see him for a shot at sometimes, but I'm, I'm doing great under his care. He's, he's just awesome. I'm so he's a godsend. That's what I would say. He is a godsend doctor for me. Well, we thank you so much for calling. Happy Dr. to Callen. help, man. <laughs> Happy to help. Thank you. Thank you. And I promise I didn't pay him. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I don't think it matter. I think you have a lot of happy people out there, especially, I mean, you've answered so many questions just for us watching. I feel better. Yeah. Just This is so informative yeah. and so good. It's always nice when someone calls in, not that they're, we get a lot of that are thinking about it and yeah. want to come in or they've heard, but when you hear someone, especially with this kind of surgery, this kind of weight bearing yeah. and functioning, I mean, you're helping people like Mike sure. just get around and do anything absolutely. that they want to do. It's mobility is the yeah. main thing, yeah, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mobility, getting people doing what they want to do. Um, obviously, we're focusing on two joints here just for the sake of time and uh, brevity of things. But I would say that, you know, it's it's certainly there's a lot of different things that we can do. Um, uh, and it, keeping people moving is the ultimate goal. You know, right. it's not just knees and shoulders. It's, you know, ankles. It's sprains. It's elbows. It's wrists. It's, it's kind of everything together. And that's the, one of the cool things that I liked about sports medicine is, 
you're not just focused and constrained to kind of two different things. You have a breadth of stuff that we do and that we see. Gosh, yeah, and mobility is so important. Like we don't know until we've lost that mobility how important our joints are from Absolutely. everything, taking care of our families, ourselves, grocery shopping, Absolutely. Um, everything. You just don't realize Absolutely. until it goes. So you want to talk about shoulders? Is that sure. more baseball kind of? Yeah, And yeah. we're still talking about youth injuries. Absolutely, with youth injuries. And, you know, I will say that the shoulder is pretty common, um, you know, with volleyball players, baseball players, and even football players. I think from the football standpoint, since we're underway, um, you know, the two most common things I probably see in the shoulder, well, I'll say three. You know, one is clavicle or collarbone fractures. And it's very common during football season. Guys fall, they land directly on that shoulder. Um, certainly it's something that, you know, is a common injury. Um, the AC joint is where the collarbone meets the shoulder blade. You can get disruptions, especially with the football players when they're dropping that shoulder, they're getting tackled. You can get sprains, disruption of some of these ligaments, and you know that can be something that we have to manage in season. Um, and then from the standpoint of more significant things, shoulder dislocations. And with that, when you're thinking about the shoulder and structures inside, this one doesn't open up per se, but if you're thinking of this being a ball and socket, my analogy for the shoulder is basically a little golf ball sitting on a golf tee. I don't play golf, but that's my analogy that I use for people. So when you're thinking of the structures that basically give stability to the shoulder, certainly the rotator cuff everybody hears about, it's a collection of four muscles that attach to your shoulder blade over here, and these represent the tendons that reach out and kind of grab that ball, keep it centered on the socket, and facilitate normal shoulder motion. So in a young patient, it's rare to see a rotator cuff injury. They can get tendonitis, inflammation, but it's not as common as what I see in my population that's you know, 45, 50 years and up. That tends to be more of the tears that can be traumatic, that they fell, picked up something too heavy, or just from wear and tear over time. If you look at the way the shoulder is developed, this is called the acromium here. Sometimes people have a little more prominence and they can get some spurring here. So when people talk about bone spurs in the shoulders, many times they're referring to this roof of bone right here. Uh -huh. So in an older patient population, if you think about you know, the space between here, there's not a lot. So you have a little bone spur there. And my analogy that I give to patients is think of taking a quarter and putting on a pair of blue jeans and just going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Over time, you magnify that by a decade, you're gonna thin out that denim and it's gonna get thinner and thinner until it potentially tears. And that's a lot of times when I get my older populations that come in and they say, you know, it came on over time, the past year, past six months, past three months, it's getting worse. Sometimes they're starting to get some wear and tear and the body can't compensate anymore. And it's not anything they did or didn't do. Sometimes it's just a little bit of rubbing. We call that impingement underneath. Um, and it's just part of kind of the normal wear and tear that most patients will have. Younger athletes, it's rare to see a rotator cuff tear. It had to be a significant trauma. So then when we're thinking of other structures that I worry about in the shoulder that are common for youth injuries right now um, is one called the labrum. And we've probably heard of a shoulder labrum before a lot of people have. If you're thinking of the shoulder as being a golf ball sitting on a golf tee, if you were to put a rubber O-ring around that golf tee to kind of deepen things, that's essentially what the labrum is. It's this grisly little rim of tissue that is very similar to a meniscus and in that it doesn't have a great blood supply and it helps deepen and give some stability. Now, certainly labral tears are common. I see these in volleyball players. I see these you know, occasionally in baseball players. Uh, it's slightly different. And then in football players, just from the trauma, from weightlifting, otherwise, you can tear that labrum and that can be a source of pain. Um, the good thing about labral tears is a lot of them can be treated with physical therapy and anti-inflammatories and injections and things like that, only if they're symptomatic and they fail these conservative treatments, would you ever have to think about operating to put some anchors in, pull that thing back down and try to force it to heal back. 
Um, the only time we worry really about a labral tear that would be a little more urgent is if you have an athlete that's dislocated their shoulder a couple times. You know, there's some guys, first time dislocation, absolutely PT, you know, anti-inflammatories, conservative care. Once you enter into that second dislocation event, especially if you're under 18, um, you have a very high probability of this becoming a recurrent issue where this thing pops out, you know, ever so frequently. And with that, we worry about stretching out the capsule, injuring cartilage and other stuff. So we're a little more aggressive to fix them in that situation, tighten them up, give them a stable shoulder that can be functional. Okay. We have Cleveland on the line for you. Okay. Hi, Cleveland. What is your question? Yes. My son, um, he's a junior at Texas High School, mm -hmm. and he tore his lateral collateral ligament. Uh-huh. Yeah. How long ago did you tear it? About five weeks ago, and, you know, I talked with him about a week ago, and, and he's running full speed on it now without surgery. Yeah. I will say with a lot of the collateral ligaments, especially when you're talking medial and lateral collateral, you would have to see the imaging to see where he's torn it. A lot of them, they can avulse if we're talking about ligaments. You have the attachments kind of up on the femur side of the bone and then down on the tibial side. So this is actually representative of a lateral collateral ligament. So sometimes if they have a tear where they pull it off the bone itself and it's not kind of in the mid-substance, if you brace them and give them enough time, this thing's going to scar in and give them a stable knee. And they can typically get back pretty quickly with the brace uh, and play and run and function and do everything. Uh, unless it was something where he had either mid-substance and he was complaining of instability or pain, it wouldn't be anything I'd be chasing after. I'd let him keep living life and enjoying playing football still. Okay. That's perfect. Because, yeah, he, I, when I talk with him, he said he's running full speed on it, but he's not playing this year. Yeah. But he's um, definitely going to run track, and he's a speedster. He runs the 100 and the 200. And so uh, okay. I kind of still want him to be cautious on it. Yeah, I think that's smart. And what I would say is, you know, it's hard sometimes to know without looking at an MRI to see exactly the extent of his injury. Um, if he's doing well, a lot of times, again, with the collaterals, whether it's the one on the inside or the outside of the knee, we can non-operatively manage these with bracing, you know, anti-inflammatories, therapy, gradual return to activity. And if he's getting back and he's running full speed and he's not having issues, you know, I'd be remiss to tell you you got to be aggressive and do anything other than let him keep working, you know, doing everything he wants to do. If he's telling you that he's feeling his knee buckling, he's having some pain, he's feeling that his knee isn't quite right, things are shifting around or describing instability, that's usually when you want to get him in to review the MRI and discuss if anything needed to be done. Sure. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. No problem. Got another great question about surgery, not surgery, so not all injuries, mm -mm. you know, and it's really hard to believe, and then you can tell an athlete, no, brace and keep Absolutely. running. And now, will it strengthen back up with all of that? Will it A lot of it heal? will, and that's the benefit of being young, too, yeah. with the youth athletes, you know, <laughs> it's it's the joke with kids sometimes in orthopedics is they're like salamanders. It's like they can chop an arm <laughs> off and it grows back, so it's like you have the advantage with some of the younger patients that they're going to heal in ways that, you know, the adult patients won't. Uh, when it comes to ligaments, though, you're absolutely right. On the inside, you have the medial collateral ligament. And on the outside, you have the lateral collateral. And this is actually part of a complex of several ligaments we call the posterior lateral corner. Um, with a lot of these injuries, a lot of the tears fall under different grades where they can have a partial or, you know, just a stretch where some of the fibers get disrupted all the way to a complete rupture. Um, the large majority of these, though, since there's such a good blood supply on the inside, 
um, and on the you know the outside has reasonable healing potential depending on where it's torn we will try to brace these guys and I try to get them their motion back get the swelling down and then see if we can get them back to play you know my number one goal especially for in-season athletes if I can safely get you back without cutting on you or doing anything more dramatic absolutely we'll get you back in and there's a lot of football players I have that have had MCL injuries. That's another common one. If you think about the anatomy of the knee, if this is the outside, and these are getting hit from the outside, especially the guys up on the line, you can stretch as that knee bends. It's going to stretch and a lot of times tear this ligament over here. And so depending on the degree of that, you know, many times we can treat these conservatively, brace them, give it enough time, these things are going to scar back in. Okay. So we have just a few, couple more minutes. Um, do we want to talk about in case parents, guardians, anybody's watching, the grown-ups in the family who have these young athletes, cheerleaders, yeah. baseball, football, everybody, is there anything we can do to get out ahead of it and prevent these injuries? Yeah. I think the biggest thing is making sure you're prepared going into the season. You know, we talk about body preparedness, and I think sometimes, you know, as orthopedists, we need to take a more active role in the preventative side of things. You know, we're good at fixing things when it is but I think that's kind of the next wave. And again, talking about the team side of things, you know, making sure that your kid has had the proper ramp up, you know, make sure that they have had uh, the proper kind of gradual progression to return to their sport. And they're not just trying to go from zero to 100% right out the gate. So a lot of times working with the trainers, the coaches, you know, making sure they're building back up to that full level of competition, especially if they haven't played since the year prior, a lot of times preparation is gonna be the key. Okay. Great advice. And if you have, do have that over-eager athlete wanting to get into it, wanting to go 100%, yeah. who's the best person to call in if they're not listening to mom and dad? A trainer or a mentor? I would say start with the trainers, the coaches, <laughs> you know, and you know, start there. Start at the baseline. They're the face of kind of sports medicine and then work your way up as needed. Yeah, because you never want to discourage those athletes. You want yeah, to ride with them and just support them all the 100%. way. 100%. Take care of them. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Callanan. My this pleasure has just to be been here. absolutely wonderful. Is there any one thing you'd like to leave us with before we go? Uh, no, again, I just want to emphasize the team effort. You mm -hmm. know, I, I think we have a great team here athletic trainers, therapists, physicians. Willis Knight has done a great job with kind of the balance and. And like I said, uh, we're, we're happy to serve the community. All right, it does take a team and the community to support. Thank you so much for letting us know about these young sports and common injuries and, and what to do, especially to prevent. So yeah. look forward to it again. All right, happy All right. to be here. Oh, thank you so much. All and right. I know you have a busy day, so you just take care. <laughs> yeah. And everyone, thank you so much for joining us for Healthline 3. We'll see you next time.